Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of the New York Sports Roundup podcast. My name is Chris, and I am going to be talking all things New York sports. I want to introduce you to the podcast since this is uh, the very first episode. I am a lifelong New York sports fan. I am a stats junkie. Um, I am a compulsive tape watcher. And I've got a lot of strong opinions that I'm going to be sharing with you, along with a rather colorful cast of rotating co-hosts and guests. Um, We're very excited about that. Um, You know, generally what we're going to try and do in this this podcast is fill a little bit of what I think is a a niche and and a need. And that is to say, you know, there's a thousand professional talking heads on ESPN and all the big networks talking about uh, you know sports and New York sports and the market and the teams and and to my mind they've got a few things in common one it's boring and the reason why it's boring is because they're all saying the same stuff I read ESPN I read CBS sports I read Yahoo sports I read pretty much everything and you really get the same type of analysis and opinion over and over and over again. And for the most part, it's, it's positive opinion. I mean, you take a guy like Mark Berman of The Post, who, as I'm sure most of you know, um, really covers the, the Knicks in most in-depth. Uh, and, you know, everything he writes, with, with limited exception, is almost relentlessly positive. They're, they're puff pieces to the extent that you wonder just how far his nose is stuck up James Dolan's ass sometimes. And, you know, it used to piss me off because I'd be like, why is this guy writing so many puff pieces about, you know, such a terrible team, um, which the Knicks have been have been lately? And then I realized all the sports writers and, and all the sports analysts are dependent in large part on ownership and the teams for access. They need access to the stadiums. They need access to the players. They need access to the coaches for quotes and for analysis. And they don't really want to do anything that gets on the bad side of, well, anyone involved in this in the sports markets that they cover. And so I think there's a real sort of honesty problem um, in in most of the the professional sports analyst world where where these guys have a huge incentive to you know not tell it like it is, but to say things that the ownership and the teams are going to be you know supportive of and happy with. And like I said earlier, I think it's just a, a matter of they all kind of repeat each other, don't they? I mean, you watch Sports Center, you you read the news, you you know, you watch PTI and some of the other shows, and it's the same topics, it's the same stuff over and over and over again. So, with that said, we're gonna we're gonna try and be a little different. Um, we're definitely gonna be able to say things on this podcast that uh, that you can't say on the uh, on the air on live television, probably for for good reason. Um, there's nothing about this podcast that's going to be mistaken with your daily Sunday uh, church service. If that's what you're looking for, go to church. You've come to the wrong place, my friends. You've come to the wrong place if that's what you're looking for. Um, All right, so we are going to start with my absolute favorite sporting event 
of the year, with the possible exception of March Madness, which we all know has been canceled. Um, and that is the NFL draft. I love the draft. And I can't tell you how excited I am this year that the draft is going to be held in Las Vegas, one of my favorite cities in the world. Assuming that it goes forward at all, I guess I could, I guess I should say. Um, I have tickets to go to the draft. I have my room at the Aria all reserved. I, I am thrilled. I can't wait to, to watch it. And so if they cancel it, I'm probably going to be devastated and I'm probably not going to react well. Uh, I'm sure alcohol will be involved. I'm sure um, so there will be some petulant tantrums that my poor wife will have to deal with. But uh, for right now, we're going to stay positive and say the draft's going forward and I'm going to Vegas and we're going to have an awesome time. Um, I'm going out there with a, a guy named Jim who you're going to meet. He's going to be a... a regular contributor and co-host on this program, I imagine. Um, he is a is also a lifelong uh, uh, New York sports fan. Um, we come at things with a little different perspective. I'm a, I'm a Giants guy. He's a Jets guy. So at least in terms of the, the NFL, um, we have somewhat different areas of, of expertise. But, but both of us uh, you know, are, are knowledgeable, watch a lot of film, read a lot of stats, and do the obsessive compulsive researching so that um you don't have to uh so we we are going to las vegas i suppose one way or another um but hopefully we'll be able to to go to the draft and go to the sports books and do all the things that uh we had planned to do while we are out there um starting off with the nfl draft uh starting off with the new york Football Giants coming off a uh, pretty miserable season uh, for Dave Gettleman and and Pat Shermer, who's everybody knows has been let go in favor of Joe Judge, former special teams coordinator of the New England Patriots, who I have to tell you, my first impression of so far is pretty positive. Thought he gave a, a great opening uh, press conference uh, for what that's worth. Um, he certainly didn't look like a coked up psychopath like Adam Gase looked like in his opening press conference. Uh, I take that as a plus. Anytime my coach doesn't look like a coked up psychopath, I am very, very pleased. Giants are coming into the season with, uh, coming into the offseason here with just about $80 million in cap space which is the most cap space that I can remember the Giants having in a very long time. Um, that's a lot of cap space. I mean, with, with Eli Manning, you know, they were sort of perennially contenders and perennially trying to, trying to at least be contenders and put Super Bowl-level talent around Eli. And so, you know, it was rare that they had this much cap space. Um, I would say I am excited about it, but, um, you know, I got to tell you, Dave Gettleman in, in the past free agent periods has uh, been a little rocky, to say the least. Uh, Jonathan Stewart, Patrick Omama, I'm looking at you guys. Um, I don't know, I don't know what, what Gettleman was thinking with, with some of the signings. I think his drafting has been better, frankly, than his, his free agent signings. 
Um, so, I mean, I like, I like Dave Gettleman in terms of, of, you know, I think, I think he hits on draft picks. I like his philosophy of, you know, we're going to take the best guy available. Um, I was a big Daniel Jones fan. I was higher on him than, than most people coming into the draft, whether you thought he reached a little bit for him or not, you know, he, he saw him as a franchise QB and, and I, I thought he was the best quarterback in that class. I know, um, you know, a lot of people disagree with that, uh, but I was at least on the same, same wavelength with him in that analysis. So $80 million in cap space is good. I, you know, makes me a little nervous to have Dave Gettleman going shopping with $80 million in cap space, but, uh, we will definitely see what, what happens. I was amazed by this statistic. So of the $80 million, or I'm sorry, of the, of the entire cap that the Giants currently have, only 11% of it is currently allocated to defensive players. Um, that's an astonishing figure. I mean, the Giants' defense was just terrible last year. I mean, they were so bad. They were, like, painful to watch. Um, and so when you hear a stat like that, it definitely makes sense. Amazingly, the highest cap hold, cap, cap person on the defense, Dexter Lawrence at $3 million currently. Second-year player. Um, that's hard to believe. So clearly in free agency, the Giants are going to have to address that, that defense. But we're going to talk a little bit about the draft um, going into it. I, the, the top needs for the Giants, I would say, are an, are an edge rusher, somebody to pressure the quarterback, linebacker, cornerback, offensive tackle. Um, varying level of, of needs depending on your player evaluation. I mean, the Giants have certainly invested some draft capital in their cornerbacks. DeAndre Baker's a first-rounder. Sam Beal's a third-rounder uh, in the supplemental draft. A lot of people thought that if he was in the regular draft, he had a chance to be a first-rounder. So historically, they have used... Uh, you know, picks on on cornerbacks in in the very recent history, in the in the very early rounds. Um, DeAndre did not play well in the first half of the season. He looked lost. He you know he was like a, a chicken with his fucking head cut off at at points in the in the regular season. I mean, he was grabbing everybody at the top of the roots. He he just looked terrible. His footwork was off. I mean, he, for a little while, I mean, just couldn't do anything right. And, and teams were, were picking on him uh, constantly. My, my boy DeAndre Baker in the first half of the year was getting beat like a rented mule. He sucked. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Second half of the season, I thought he was better. Still a little, a little grabby. Um, but, but, you know, he started to turn it around a little bit and you saw some flashes of, of what, you know, what made him a first rounder. Uh, I don't know how confident and comfortable you can be going into a season with him as the number one cornerback. I certainly wouldn't be comfortable with that. Um, and, and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with Sam Beal being my second quarterback. Guy was hurt for, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of time, probably most of his NFL career. When I saw him, I, th I thought he played okay, but I don't think we have a big enough sample size on him yet to know exactly what he's going to be. So, you know, um, it, it's hard to see me, it's, it's hard for me to see the Giants 
investing another high draft pick in a cornerback. Uh, I think that's an area where where you know they may go out and and sign a veteran. Um, you know, if they're at the top of the market, you know, you're looking at Jones, the uh, Cowboys guy, or or Bradbury, who uh, coming from the Panthers. We all we all know that gentleman likes to sign those former Panthers. Um, so maybe that's a way they they go. But but Jones in particular is going to break the bank. I mean, he's going to be, you know, seventeen, eighteen million dollars a year. Which is just a ton. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know that, you know, cornerback is a premium position. You want to invest in it. But, you know, you invested a first rounder. You invested a, a, a third rounder in the position. And now you got to go out and, and spend at the top of the free agent market. It's, it's kind of hard to do. But I'm not sure, you know, what their other choice is there. Because otherwise, if you draft somebody, you're going to be running out three rookies. Um, I don't think that's that's a good idea. Uh, on the um, on the linebacker front, the the cupboard is rather bare. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, you know, I don't. I mean, I, I think he's fine, but he certainly hasn't become the dominating player that people thought he was going to to be. I don't think, um, or at least hoped he would be. You know, Ryan Conley is a is a nice piece, but he's coming off an injury. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I hope that he'll get back to form and we can get something out of him, but but who knows? Um, Mayo, who they recently re-signed, I mean, he played great, but I, I think he's better suited to a, to a backup role than he is to, you know, a starting position. Um, and so, so where do you go with that? Uh, that's a position that you could see them, I guess, addressing in the draft. Perhaps the most important position they need to address his edge rusher. Uh, you know, I thought Marcus Gold, Golden did an admirable job as sort of a, a one-year reclamation project. But, you know, I watched the tape on him, and I watched a lot of tape on him because he, he's, he, to my mind, was sort of a, a tough player to get my head around. He had, you know, all these sacks, double-digit sacks, but I felt like a lot of them were, I don't want to call them gimmicky, but... They were in situations, really two types of situations. One where he got like a jump on the snap. He just sort of timed it right. And I kind of feel like that's a little bit of a, of a gimmicky thing because when you time it right, it's great you get a sack. But for every time you don't, you're offsides. And he had a lot of, of offsides and encroachment penalties trying to, trying to time the snap that I felt hurt in some, some key situations. So I thought his sack numbers were a little bit inflated by that. Uh, the other thing I thought his sack numbers were a little bit inflated by that was the fact that really he was the only, um, you know, decent pass rusher on the team. And sometimes quarterbacks hold the ball. And, you know, you get some bad quarterbacks, hold the ball four, five, six seconds. Eventually, somebody's going to get there. And, uh, you know, that happened to be golden. And while, and while it's great that he eventually got there, you know, with when you're playing good teams and, and quarterbacks who get the ball out of, out of their hands in a reasonable time frame, I don't know that those socks are going to translate from year to year and carry over from year to year. So, you know, I, I don't really know what he is, but I would not be paying Marcus Golden big money. Um, so let's look ahead to the draft. And I want to talk specifically about 
what, what I see is the, is the three guys who have been most commonly and most frequently mocked to the Giants, and that is Isaiah Simmons of, of Clemson, Mekhi Becton of Louisville, and Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. Start with Simmons, the Clemson guy. Um, I, I really like him as a player. I think he, you know, he played all over the field at Clemson. If you if you look at his stats, I mean, they call him a linebacker, <clears throat> but he played safety. Um, he played cornerback. He played really everywhere on the field prior to the combine. They asked him what his position is. He said defense. He didn't want to, you know, nail himself down to a position, and and that's kind of the way he played. And I I love that because I think, you know, in the modern NFL. You need your linebackers to do a lot of different things. And I think he can cover tight ends, as as you've seen from his safety and cornerback experience. He can rush the passer. He looks great on film rushing the passer and and coming on blitzes. Um, He can stop the run. I mean, the guy can literally do everything you'd want on a football field on the defensive side of the ball. I'm really high on him. Um, My, my, you know, my emotion wants to take him and wants to see him be a giant. The one sort of hesitation I have is, to my mind, linebacker in the NFL draft is not a premium position. You know, you think about tackle, offensive tackle, you think about cornerback, you think about edge rusher, pass rusher. These are the sort of premium positions that when you have a top five pick, you know, I I sort of want to see them go towards one of those premium positions. I think about linebacker, I think about the Giants. You know, we won a Super Bowl with Chase Blackburn. I think one year we we even pulled him like out of the stands. He was like working at, you know, a tire mart or something and somebody got hurt. We threw him on the field. We won a Super Bowl. So, you know, the I think it's just generally hard with a few exceptions to be sort of a game changer. From, from the linebacker spot, even if you're, you're one of those kind of do-everything guys. Um, of course, there are. There are game changers at that position, but I think they're, they're sort of fewer and, and more distance between them than, than some other positions. And, and so you look at a top, you know, top five pick, and, and do you want to invest it at the linebacker spot? To me, the ideal thing that happens in this draft is – is perhaps a trade down for the Giants. Um, you know, they they assuming Tua gets to them, um, you know, maybe they can ransom the pick to to uh, you know auction that off. Maybe Herbert, somebody falls in love with him, you can move down a little bit and and still get Simmons or or someone else, pick up some draft capital which you desperately need since Gettleman. I don't know, you know, sometimes you you understand and and you say, well, it's not the move I would have made, but I, I get it. You know, I, I see the other side of it. Leonard, uh, Leonard Williams, Dave Gettleman giving up a third and a fifth that can become a fourth to rent Leonard Williams for half a season when he could have just signed him in the offseason. Man, Gettleman's gotten killed for that in the press and rightly so. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Um, I don't know if, you know, I don't know that that was a free agent signing as much as it was like the world's worst hangover. You know, he wakes up the next day and 
and Leonard Williams is the, you know, the ugly, disgusting person that he took home the night before and, and unfortunately slept with. And, and now, you know, he, he's in a tough spot, you know, he can't get, can't get rid of him without crystallizing that the draft picks were just thrown away. Um, meanwhile, Leonard Williams has got a, a, what I think is an inflated sense of, of his worth on the open market. That guy's talking about $15 million a year. And there is absolutely no way in hell that I would be paying Leonard Williams $15 million a year. Um, and so, you know, that is a, a pretty inexplicable move. Um, the only thing I can see, the only way out of that I can see maybe to salvage it is with the transition tag. Um, you know, put the transition tag on him, let him go test the market. Hopefully he comes back and, and realizes that he's not going to get $15 million a year. Um, you can lock him up, you know, for something, for something, uh, more reasonable than that. You know, looking at some of these, you know, market value assessments for what they're worth, <clears throat> some of these websites that sort of look at comparable players, what they signed for over the, the past several years, they're pegging his market value based on just the raw numbers at eight to 10 million a year. And based on the eye test, that seems right to me. Um, I, I'm not under any illusion that you can sign Leonard Williams for that, but that's what I think he's worth. Um, at least if you transition tag him, uh, you can see what the market is. You can let the market come to you a little bit. You have the right to match it. If you don't, you don't get any compensation, but at least you don't compound throwing away two valuable drafts picks with a shitty contract that's going to haunt you for the next three years uh, and, and just eat cap space Maybe, you know, you get another year out of the guy and, and you hope that the potential that he seems to have that, that made you trade for him in the first place finally translates into production and, and you know, you can, you can justify a bigger contract down the road. <coughs> um, that's, that's what I think you got to do because um, otherwise it just looks like Gettleman took a couple draft picks and set them on fire for no reason. All right, so the other two, the other two guys who've been mocked pretty heavily to the Giants, uh, Mekhi Becton out of Louisville, quite a presence at the offensive tackle position. I mean, this guy is is just enormous. Game of Thrones fans, think uh, think the mountain from Game of Thrones. That's that's what he looks like. He is. Uh, I believe six seven and and weighed in in the combine at three hundred and sixty four pounds. I mean, he's just a a staggering presence, and uh, you know, a guy who's not going to get bull rush. That's that's for sure. Um, unless unless you're you're driving a Mack truck, uh, he's a hard guy to go through. Um, I like Becton. I I really I really do. I think he's a, a good player, and obviously, I think he's got a high ceiling. My my problem a little bit with him is 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 the weight and 
the movement. You know, I mean, 364 is a, is a big boy. And, you know, if he's not disciplined and if he's not fully, you know, committed to his craft, sometimes it's hard for these big guys to keep their weight down. Um, and, and, you know, he balloons to 375 or something like that. And, you know, he could, he could be a guy who has trouble staying in shape and has trouble, um, you know, being in top form. The second thing you worry about is, is they're not all bull rushers. I mean, some of these guys are speed rushers and, um, you know, on tape, you know, I don't know what I saw any speed rushers in the college game who could just simply go right around him with, with raw speed. But what I did see on tape is, is counter moves. Um, somebody starts to the outside and, and changes direction or, or spins, and, or, or there's a stunt on the offensive line that requires a tackle to change direction. That seems to me a place where when you fast forward the game to NFL speed, he might struggle. I think that, um, you know, he, he gets that big body moving in one direction. And the question I have at the NFL level is, can he change direction? Can he stop that momentum that comes from moving 364 pounds in one direction and changing it to another direction in a way that's going to let him handle some of these speed guys in the NFL? So, you know, I wonder about that. Um, but still, I, I wouldn't hate the pick. I think he's a, I think he's a, a massive guy. I think he's a, you know, I think he, he is probably going to be a good offensive tackle in the league for a very long time. That's my take. I, I wouldn't mind that pick at all. The third guy you see most commonly mocked to the Giants, and perhaps most out of anybody, is Tristan Wirfs, the tackle out of Iowa. A lot of chatter on the on the. Uh, you know, in the press and on Twitter, for what it's worth, that the Giants just quote-unquote love him. I don't know how much of that is real. I don't know how much of that is a draft day smoke screen. Um, I, you know, I've got mixed feelings on Worfs. I really do. On the one hand, he's got all the tools, right? He, he is a uh, mauler in the run game. He is strong as hell. The guy can squat like my house. Um, he's got a nasty streak to him. He, you know, he uh, he definitely plays to the whistle. Uh, I don't think you're going to have a motivation problem with him. These are all good things for sure. the The problem I have with Wirfs is when you watch his film, he has these sort of dominating physical traits, but. I don't see a lot, a ton of places where he just dominates on film. Of all the guys I was sort of considering for the Giants with this pick at number four, I would say that that sort of on the uh, colloquial scale of fucking A moments, Worfs has the least fucking A moments. And what I mean by a fucking A moment is when you see something on tape and you go, fucking A. Um, like... When, when some defensive lineman just gets planted on his ass uh, or, or when somebody goes to uh, pass rush and just winds up getting manhandled. You talk about a guy like Mekhi Becton, you know, when he, when he 
clicks, when he, you know, when he does something right, the defensive guy gets planted. He's going into the ground. I mean, he gets two hands on you. He gets the right technique. He gets the body in the right place. Like you're gonna, you you just he he looks like a like a man playing playing football with with a bunch of little girls. Um, Worfs doesn't really stand out on that that way on the film. You know, he's okay. Um, he's obviously a good player. Get why he's a first rounder, but for fourth, you know, a, a, a fourth pick in the NFL draft. I want to see, I want to be like, I want to be wowed by the tape. You know, Saquon's tape, say what you want about taking a running back second. You look at his college tape and you're like, oh my God, this guy is just, is just playing a different game. He's breaking people's ankles out there on the, on the field. People go to, go to tackle him. They catch nothing but air, right? Like his film, it just, it just screams at you. Like this guy can play. That's not worse film. Um, in most cases. So, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see if those reports are right, that, that the Giants, you know, the Giants really love them. Um, somewhere in this draft, the Giants are going to have to get themselves, I think, an edge rusher. Uh, devastating missing out on that number two pick with Chase Young to beat the, the fucking Redskins. I mean... Oh, it's a game you uh you hate to tank, but but it'd be nice to have Chase Young coming in to beef up that defense and beef up the the pass rushing uh situation. So that's the that's the Giants uh report. I, I think that you know Leonard Williams is, is gonna be key, what they decide to do with them. Him, I think the pass rushing pass rusher is a key. You know they were they were targeting I thought Yannick but but the the Jags franchised him and the Giants are already not sitting with a lot of draft capital because of the disastrous Leonard Williams trade so I don't see them moving a lot of picks and then a huge contract for Yannick so you know he may be out um, I I am not a clowny fan especially at big numbers. Uh, you know, I know Clowney's been good lately, but you talk about a guy with a lot of injury history who I never felt lived up to the dominating, uh, you know, first round pick level of talent that he got. Um, I'm not paying that guy 18, 19, God help us, $20 million a year. I mean, that's, that's insane. I, I just wouldn't be doing that. So we'll see where they find pass rushing pass rushing help um on to the new york jets coming off a seven and nine season gm joe douglas working with about 60 million uh cap space give or take jets seven and nine season really two seasons the first half of the season in which the team was was just a disaster. I mean, Adam Gase came out on that first press conference, like I said, looking like a like a coke addict psychopath. Um, and the first half of the Jets season was not good. Um, they were they were sort of lost in the sauce. Second half of the season much better. Uh, closed hard. Finished with that seven and nine record. 
give Gase some credit for that. Team didn't quit. Um, after a disastrous and embarrassing start, team did not quit on him. Played hard right through the end. Um, <laughs> I think one place where you can knock Gase, offensive genius, is the Jets scored the fewest points in the AFC last year. And the second fewest in the league, only the Washington Redskins scored less points than the New York Jets last season. Um, a large part of that, the offensive line. Let's face it, you think the Giants' offensive line's got some problems, and it does. The Jets' offensive line is just... Uh, there's not even an adjective to really describe how bad it was. Sure, some of it was injuries. They went through nine different offensive line combinations during the year. Um, that's a lot. But you give up something like, I think it was, I have to check the numbers on this, 52 sacks, um, 31st in rushing in the league, and you've got Le'Veon Bell rushing. He's He's averaging 3.2 yards a, a carry because there's there's nowhere to run. They couldn't block anybody all year. It's it's frankly amazing that Darnold looked as good as he as he did. Um, you know, quarterbacks, young quarterbacks. You know, you need to develop them. You know, you pick a guy and you, you know you brought in Gase because you thought he could develop them. Fifty two. Sacks. I mean, I don't know how many David Carr, how many times he got sacked back in the day, but I think you're in that you're in that territory. Um, you know, he spends his his most of his uh, his time in the pocket running for his life or, or just throwing the ball away. I, I don't know. I don't know how he's not seeing ghosts. Maybe he is seeing ghosts. Who knows? But there's you know you got to do something about the offensive line if you're the Jets. We got to start there. Um, you know, Jack Conklin. Rumored to be a Giants target. The Jets should be interested in him. If, if Only because I think the Jets should be interested in any offensive lineman who has a pulse and who um, you know, might be able to stand in front of somebody and um, not, not look like uh, they don't belong on, on the field uh, at all. Um, so got to get the offensive line fixed. Uh, in the draft, there's some there's some ways to to do that. And again, we talked about Beckton. We've talked about Werfs. If they if they get to the Jets at the eleventh draft pick, also you look at a guy like Jedrick Wills. Um, you know, I think he's a possibility. Andrew Thomas, another possibility. It's a pretty good draft for offensive tackles, which is which is kind of where I'd be going with a first round pick over guard and center, obviously, because tackles a more premium position. So they got some options in the draft to uh, to improve it, and and God, do they need to? Um, other areas that that they could look at in the draft, alongside offensive line, wide receiver, cornerback, pass rusher. Um, let's talk about the wide receivers for a minute. I think it's I think it's kind of an interesting uh, position for the Jets. Because there's some some really strong and really conflicting opinions about Robbie Anderson, who is a free agent this year. He's one of those guys that, you know, I think everybody kind of agrees that he's not a, 
a number one wide receiver. You know, he, he just doesn't consistently dominate in a way that you can say he's a number one receiver. There are some games where he's great. There are some games where he disappears. You don't see him. That, to my mind, is not a number one receiver. Um, you know, Jamison Crowder, solid piece, I think. But especially, you know, e- even if Anderson comes back, I think, you, you know, it's a position you got to look at. If he doesn't come back, for sure, you've got to find somebody to fill that spot. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, with respect to the Jets, what happens with Amari Cooper. Dallas is, you know, they got this thing going on with Dak. Um, they, they are not in the best, in the best salary cap position as bad as I think Jerry wants to keep Amari Cooper. And and I think they will, I think the Cowboys keep him, but, but if they don't, um, that I think would be an interesting place for the Jets to maybe spend some top of the market dollars, try and upgrade, try and give, you know, Darnold a weapon um, after you fix the offensive line, because if he's on his back, uh, the offensive line's weapon ain't gonna ain't gonna help. Um, you know, even Dave Gettleman said, you know, last time I checked, it's hard for a quarterback to complete a pass when he's on his back. Um, I would add to that, it's also hard for him to complete a pass when he's on his ass, which is where Darnold wound up uh, on a lot of his pass attempts last year. Uh, but but you know, the the Jets could could look at Cooper if he becomes available um, in the draft. You got a couple of guys who project right at where the Jets might be picking the 11th pick, uh, CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, uh, wide receivers. Um, you know, they're the two best wide receivers in the draft, and and I don't think there's much argument about that, although there is a lot of argument and difference of opinion about, about who's better. Um, you know, I see both sides to that. I, I don't think the Jets could go wrong picking either one of those guys. Uh, although again, I'm going to keep harping on got to fix the offensive line. So if you fix the offensive line and free agency, then I think, you know, you can use a, you know, that first rounder on a wide receiver. If, if not, if you still got holes and you got to use that first rounder on one of the offensive linemen, uh, you know, who, who, who sort of fit that projection, like Wills or, or Thomas or Werfs or Becton, then maybe you do that and you look at a guy like Justin Jefferson, um, you know, maybe you trade back into the first or, or cross your fingers that he falls into the second. He's been a guy who's been rising on a lot of boards. I really like him. I think he's going to be a, a solid player. You know, one of the things I, I really like about Je- a guy like Jefferson is the precision with which he runs his roots. That really stands out to me on tape. I mean, he he looks almost like like in in his route running like an NFL wide receiver. Crisp breaks, comes back to the ball, all the right instincts. Um, really like him. Really like him. And and I think you know what's the home run uh, draft for the Jets. I think you you get whichever offensive lineman you like best, offensive tackle with that eleventh pick. And and then you get a guy like Jefferson in the second round. And then you've got some extra cap draft capital in the third round because the Jets were on the receiving end of that Gettleman gift of the 
third and, and fifth rounders for, um, for Leonard Williams. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing there's been some confusion about is, is in the, in the uh, trade, that fifth round pick could move up to a fourth round pick if the Giants re-sign him. Important to know, though, that as I understand it, they would have to re-sign him before the start of free agency in order for that pick to move up. And so as soon as free agency begins, even if the Giants re-sign Leonard Williams, uh, that pick remains a, a fifth rounder. Uh, still a great shade for the Jets. A uh, guy they weren't going to build around. They pick up a third rounder for him. Uh, you know, I think, that's, I think that's wonderful. One of the things I neglected to mention in that Williams trade, as inexplicable as it was, is, you know, the Giants already had B.J. Hill at that spot. And he had a good first year, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a sophomore slump, but but as a guy I would like to see a little bit more of. I don't know why you, you know, of giving up draft capital when you're two and six for a guy like Leonard Williams. I mean, let the kid play. Let B.J. Hill play. See what you got in him. You got tons of tape on, on Leonard Williams. You need more, more tape on that guy. Um, anyway, so from the Jets' perspective, an extra third rounder, that's great. Um, could use it to potentially move up, move move up if there's a guy you love, or uh, you know, or just just take take another guy. I mean, I sort of fall more into the Bill Belichick uh, thought process when it comes to the draft, which is the more picks, the better. Um, I'm usually not a huge proponent of moving up. I think you. By giving up draft capital, you shoot yourself in the foot more than you actually help yourself. And again, some notable exceptions. Obviously, if they had to do it all over again, the Falcons would go up for, for uh, Julio Jones again, right? Like, it's a no-brainer. Um, you do that again. But then you look at, you know, the Redskins and the RG3 trade. I think there are more of those where you mortgage your future and I don't care where you take a guy. There's no guarantee that he's going to work out. He could be the best guy in the world, and and like David Wilson, who the, the Giants, you know, running back, Giants used an early pick on him, first rounder, gets hurt. That's it. So, you know, for me, the draft is about, you know, the more chances you get to spin that wheel and to pick, you know, a guy, I think the better off you're going to be. I'm not a big fan of, of moving up in the draft. Um, and so, you know, if I were the Jets... I would use those those two third rounders. They've they've got a lot of holes. We talked about the offense, the defense. Um, can we get a cornerback? Can we can we can we get some cornerback help? That would be phenomenal. Uh, I don't go into the you know the year the way I am uh, at cornerback if I'm the Jets. I, you just can. Two names to look at in the draft for the Jets cornerback. C.J. Henderson and Kristen Fulton, the uh, Christian Fulton, the kid from LSU, really like Fulton. Um, Henderson, I think, will be there uh, when when the Jets pick like him too. You know, you, you talk about a guy like Oduka, who's slated to be the number one corner off the board. A lot of people have him mocked to the Lions at three assuming they don't trade that pick. And God, the Lions need him. Um, 
their cornerback situation is deteriorated, uh, you know, now to the point where, where they really could use him. But, but you know, he's not going to get to the Jets at 11. Um, I, don't, I don't see any way, unless something crazy happens in the draft, he's not going to fall that far. So the question becomes, you know, again, do you, do you try and trade up? If I'm the Jets, I don't. You know, I sit where I am. I don't give up one of my premium picks uh, to try and go get him. Um, I'm very happy to take, you know, Christian Fulton from LSU or C.J. Henderson and, and keep my remaining draft capital to, uh, to, to make some more moves down the road. Um, you know, overall, I really like, I really like Joe Douglas. Um, not so much for necessarily what, what he's done with the Jets so far, but I think his pedigree over the, his career in the NFL has been a good one. Um, I think he's a, you know, generally a, a thoughtful guy. He, you know, as I look back over, over his moves and over the things he's done, I don't have as many sort of head-scratching moments where, as I do with Dave Gettleman. You know, Gettleman to me is more of like a guy who, you know, he's either going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out and hit himself in the face with the bat while he does it, right? That's Dave Gettleman. Um, Joe Douglas, I think, is, a, is more of a, a steady presence. Um, I think he's going to make overall smart moves. Um, and I think that the, the Jets, you know, look, they're seven and nine. They have a, a young quarterback who could develop into a franchise guy. They've got one of the best running backs in the league, uh, if they could block for him. I am not a huge fan of the Le'Veon Bell contract. I am also not a huge fan of giving running backs in general huge contracts, uh, especially at the stage in the career that Bell is at. But look, you know, Bell's a, Bell's a horse. You, you know, he can control the game and, you know, he can get those tough, short yards. He can break them. I mean, he can do everything. So, you know, from an offensive perspective, you got a quarterback, you got a bell cow running back, um, got to get the line fixed, got to get a receiver. And, you know, defense... Uh, you know, it is what it is. I think that cornerback in the secondary is a position that can be improved. Um, you need you need pass rushers. But, you know, there's a core there. There's a developing core. They didn't go 7-9 and nine for no reason. Uh, it's a young core. And, um, you know, I, I, look, the, the Dolphins are always in a perpetual state of, of not knowing what they're doing. Right, the Dolphins are always, you know, one move away from from destroying their future. The Patriots are in a little bit of a state of flux this this season because of, uh, you know, what's going to happen with Tom Brady. I mean, I don't I don't think Tom Brady's going back to New England, and I know I'm not alone on that. People have him, you know, going to Tennessee. Maybe that makes some sense. Supposedly, there's some rumors that the Tampa Bay Bucks are gonna gonna drop a Brinks truck at. Tom Brady's front door to try and get him to, to go down to Florida and, and play for them. They want to move on from Jameis Winston. Um, but, you know, what are the Patriots without without Tom Brady? And, and who replaces Tom Brady? I mean, sure, Belichick's still a genius, and, um, you know, he's going he's gonna to get every competitive edge, legal and not legal, for his team that he can. Uh, 
But, you know, when you've had a franchise guy at the quarterback position for 100 years and one of the best to ever play the game, it's not easy to move on. And, and you know, this is one of those places that Belichick's philosophy of moving on from a guy a year too early rather than a year too late, um, you know, I don't know how much that holds when you're talking about, you know, Hall of Fame franchise quarterback. And the Patriots could absolutely be in a little bit of a state of flux especially on the offensive end, depending on, on, you know, who they get and how that transition goes. Uh, you know, the Bills are, you know, are solid. Um, you know, they're, they're a tough team. Uh, but I think there's, there's an opportunity for the Jets with this young core that they have to improve and to really make some noise in that AFC East. Um, that's it for us today. As the, as the draft gets closer, we were going to be talking a lot about the draft, obviously, uh, also talking about some other New York sports, just to give you a quick rundown, the NBA season on ice, baseball, spring training on ice. Those things have been postponed and canceled due to the coronavirus, which could please go away because it canceling March Madness makes me want to, I don't know what, I'm just so devastated. I can't even think about it. I'm like, I'm like in mourning, you know, I feel like a it's a it's a funeral situation with the with March Madness being canceled. It's like a, a kid who not only they take his lollipop away, they put his face in the dirt and kicked anyway. We're not going to talk about it. I'm just going to get upset. But uh, we are going to be talking a lot about about uh, the uh, NBA offseason, about the Mets and the Yankees offseason. A lot of talk about in baseball with the cheating scandals and some other things. And so we are going to be talking, uh, you know, about that. But like today, uh, the draft is, is front and center. The draft is front and center until, they, until, uh, until those names are called. And I expect that with the, with the start of the legal t- tampering period coming up in a couple of days, um, the free agency salvos are really going to give us some clarity about those mock drafts when we see who fills their needs in free agency and who doesn't. I think that's going to really help sharpen the focus uh, for all teams, including the New York teams, about where they're going in the draft. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward, I look forward to having you back next time. I say we because... I won't often be alone uh, on this podcast. As I mentioned, we're going to have co-hosts and guests joining us uh, in the future. And we, uh, I and we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you.